0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Geneva. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy Book 10, 1812, Chapter 1 Napoleon began war with Russia because he could not resist going to Dresden, could not help having his head turned by the homage he received, could not help donning a polish uniform and yielding to the stimulating influence of a June morning and could not refrain from bursts of anger in the presence of Kurakin and then of balashev alexander refused negotiations because he felt himself to be personally insulted barclay de tried to command the army in the best way because he wished to fulfill his duty and earn fame as a great commander rostov charged the french because he could not restrain his wish for a gallop across a level field and in the same way the innumerable people who took part in the war acted in accord with their personal characteristics habits circumstances and aims they were moved by fear of vanity rejoiced or were indignant reasoned imagining that they knew what they were doing and did it of their own free will but they all were involuntary tours of history carrying on a work concealed from them but comprehensible to us such is the inevitable fate of men of action and the higher they stand in the social hierarchy the less are they free the actors of eighteen twelve have long since left the stage their personal interests have vanished leaving no trace and nothing remains of their time but its historic results providence compelled all these men striving to attain personal aims to further the accomplishment of a stupendous result no one of them at all expected neither napoleon nor alexander nor still less any of those who did the actual fighting the cause of the destruction of the french army in eighteen twelve is clear to us now no one will deny that the cause was, on the one hand, its advance into the heart of Russia late in the season without any preparation for a winter campaign, and on the other, the character given to the war by the burning of Russian towns and the hatred of the foe this aroused among the Russian people. But no one at the time foresaw what now seems so evident that this was the only way an army of 800,000 men, the best in the world and led by the best general, could be destroyed in conflict with a raw army of half its numerical strength and led by inexperienced commanders as the russian army was not only did no one see this but on the russian side every effort was made to hinder the only thing that could save russia while on the french side despite napoleon's experience and so-called military genius every effort was directed to pushing on to moscow at the end of the summer that is to doing the very thing that was bound to lead to destruction in historical works on the year eighteen twelve french writers were very fond of saying that napoleon feared the danger of extending his line that he sought a battle and that his marshals advised him to stop at smolensk and of making similar statements to show that the danger of campaign was even there understood Russian authors are still fond of telling us that from the commencement of the campaign, a seasonable plan was adopted to lure Napoleon into the depths of Russia, and this plan some of them attribute to Fuhr, others to a certain Frenchman, others to Thor, and others, again, to Alexander himself, pointing to notes, projects, and letters which contain hints of such a line of action. But all these hints at what happened, both from the French side and the Russian, are advanced only because they fit in with the event. Had that event not occurred, these hints would have been forgotten, as we have forgotten the thousands and millions of hints and expectations to the country which were current then, but have now been forgotten because the event falsified them. There are always so many conjectures as to the issue of any event that however it may end, there will always be people to say, I said then that it would be so, quite forgetting that amid their innumerable conjectures, many were to quite the contrary effect. Conjectures as to Napoleon's awareness of the danger of extending his line, and, on the Russian side, as to luring the enemy into the depths of Russia, are evidently of that kind, and only by much straining can historians attribute such conceptions to Napoleon and his marshals, or such plans to the Russian commanders, all the facts are in flat contradiction to such conjectures during the whole period of the war not only was there no wish on the russian side to draw the french into the heart of the country but from their first entry into russia everything was done to stop them and not only was napoleon not afraid to extend his line but he welcomed every step forward as a triumph and did not seek battle as eagerly as in former campaigns but very lazily at the very beginning of the war, our armies were divided, and our sole aim was to unite them, though so uniting the armies was no advantage if we meant to retire and lure the enemy into the depths of the country. Our emperor joined the army to encourage it to defend every inch of Russian soil and not to retreat. The enormous Jessa camp was formed on first plan, and there was no intention of retiring further. The emperor reproached the commanders-in-chief for every step they retired he could not bear the idea of letting the enemy even reach smolensk still less could he contemplate the burning of moscow and when our armies did unite he was displeased that smolensk was abandoned and burned without a general engagement having been fought under its walls so thought the emperor and the russian commanders and people were still more provoked and thought that our forces were retreating into the depths of the country napoleon having cut our armies apart advanced far into the country and missed several chances of forcing an engagement in august he was at smolensk and thought only of how to advance farther though as we now see that advance was evidently ruinous to him the facts clearly show that napoleon did not foresee the danger of the advance on moscow nor did alexander and the russian commanders then think of leering napoleon on but quite the contrary the leering of napoleon into the depths of the country was not the result of any play for no one believed it to be possible it resulted from a most complex interplay of intrigues aims and wishes among those who took part in the war and had no perception whatever of the inevitable or of the one way of saving russia everything came about fortuitously the armies were divided at the commencement of the campaign we tried to unite them with the evident intention of giving battle and checking the enemy's advance and by this effort to unite them while avoiding battle with a much stronger enemy and necessarily withdrawing the armies at an acute angle we lead the french on to smolensk but we withdraw at an acute angle not only because the french advanced between our two armies the angle became still more acute and we withdraw with farther because barclay de Tolly was an unpopular foreigner disliked by bagration who would come his command and bagration being command of the second army tried to postpone joining up and coming under barclay's command as long as he could bagration was slow in effecting the junction so that was the chief aim of all at headquarters because as he alleged he exposed his army to danger on this march and it was best for him to attire more to the left and more to the south warring the enemy from flank and rear and securing for the Ukraine recruits for his army and it looks as if he planned this in order not to come under the command of the detested foreigner barclay whose rank was inferior to his own the emperor was with the army to encourage it but his presence and ignorance of what steps to take and the enormous number of advisers and plans destroyed the first army's energy and it retired the intention was to make a stand at the dresser camp but paolucci aiming at becoming commander-in-chief unexpectedly employed his energy to influence alexander and the first whole plane was abandoned and the command entrusted to Barclay but as Barclay did not inspire confidence his power was limited, the armies were divided, there was no unity of command, and Barclay was unpopular. But from this confusion, division, and the unpopularity of the foreign commander-in-chief, there resulted, on the one hand, indecision and the avoidance of a battle, which we could not have refrained from, had the armies been united and had someone else, instead of Barclay, been in command, and on the other, an ever-increasing indignation against the foreigners, and an increase in patriotic zeal. At last, the emperor left the army, and as the most convenient and indeed the only pretext for his departure, it was decided that it was necessary for him to inspire the people in the capitals and arouse the nation in general to a patriotic war, and by this visit of the emperor to Moscow, the strength of the Russian army was troubled he left in order not to obstruct the commander-in-chief's undivided control of the army in hoping that more decisive action would then be taken but the command of the armies became still more confused and enfeebled Bennigsen the zarevich and a swarm of adjutants, general remained with the army to keep the commander-in-chief under observation and rouse his energy and barclay feeling less free than ever under the observation of all these eyes of the emperor became still more cautious of undertaking any decisive action and avoided giving battle barclay stood for caution desirovich hinted at the treachery and demanded a general engagement Lubomirski, bronitsky Vlosky, and the others of that group stirred up so much trouble that barclay under pretext of sending papers to the emperor dispatched this polish of general to petersburg and plunged into an open struggle with Bennigsen and Tsarevich. At Smolensk, the armies at last reunited, much as Bagration disliked it. Bagration drove up in a carriage to the house occupied by Barclay. Barclay donned his sash and came out to meet and report to his senior officer, Bagration. Despite his seniority in rank, Bagration, in this contest of magnanimity, took his orders from Barclay, but having submitted, agreed with him less than ever by the emperor's orders bagration reported direct to him he wrote to Arakcheev, chief the emperor's confidant it must be as my sovereign pleases but i cannot work with the minister meaning Barclay. for god's sake send me somewhere else if only in command of a regiment i cannot stand it here headquarters are so full of germans that a russian cannot exist and there is no sense in anything I thought I was really serving my sovereign and the fatherland, but it turns out that I am serving Barclay. I confess, I do not want to. The swarm of Bronitskys and Winstingeradas and their likes there further embittered the relations between the commanders in chief, and even less unity resulted. Preparations were made to fight the French before Smolensk. A general was sent to survey the position. This general, hitting Barclay, rode to visit a friend of his own. A co-commander, and having spent a day with him, returned to Barclay and condemned, as unsuitable from every point of view, the battleground he had not seen. While disputes and intrigues were going on about the future field of battle, and while we were looking for the French, having lost touch with them, the French stumbled upon nevorovsky's division and reached the walls of Smolensk. It was necessary to fight an unexpected battle at Smolensk to save our lines of communication. The battle was fought, and thousands were killed on both sides. Smolensk was abandoned contrary to the wishes of the emperor and of the whole people. But Smolensk was burnt by its own inhabitants, who had been misled by their governor. And this ruined the inhabitants, setting an example to other Russians, went to Moscow, thinking only of their own losses, but kindling hatred of the foe. Napoleon advanced further, and we retired, the arriving at the very result which caused his destruction. End of chapter 1. Recorded on October 4, 2008, by Geneva.